This episode is brought to you by Safe Catch Elite, the lowest mercury tuna of any brand. Safe Catch is the only brand that tests every fish and is paleo certified. Safe Catch Elite averages four times less mercury than even wild planet tuna. For tuna with amazing purity and amazing taste, go to safecatch.com primal and receive 20% off your first order. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula. Welcome listeners the to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's Brad Kearns, your host. And I have a very special guest here. It's Chris Adams, the king of PrimalCon, the former king of PrimalCon. And named now, I believe it's um, three years running, the sexiest firefighter in Arizona award. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. So, Chris, we go way back to the very first PrimalCon 2010. You and Tina showed up, this high-energy, smiling couple, having a lot of fun as participants. Um, we had Jared and Tanis, like your, your BFFs that you met that were very similar to you, a young, high-energy couple, really into the whole scene already. And I remember um, standing there with Mark one day when we were doing some fitness outdoor activities at the beach and watching you do handstand push-ups against a palm tree. And we're both looking at that going, check that dude out. He, you know, he blows everybody, including us and anyone on our staff, out of the water. We got to talk to this guy. And so um, just, I think, because of your guy's enthusiasm for the event, um, we asked you back the following year as our very first uh, group leaders. So you were kind of like the alums. You came back and saw to it that other people were having a great time and tended to everyone's needs. And it sounds like you guys enjoyed it because I believe, did you go to all nine mm-hmm. Primal Cons or something like that? Yep. Yeah, we were at every Primal Con. Oh my gosh. So we have the um, the winner award goes to you, Tina, um, me, Mark. I, I think we were at all of them. <laughs> and then um, let's see, Angelo De La Cruz, right? Mm-hmm. Not sure if anybody else is, uh, has that gold star. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we, we had a lot of regulars, but we didn't have people that were at every one of them. So what's your takeaway from all that interaction with all those primal enthusiasts? You were in a really unique situation, making connections with all these people of different levels of enthusiasm, but really getting into it and seeing what people were all about as they traveled from all over the world. Well, I think that, that uh, you know, one of the biggest things, what I really looked forward to was, was seeing the same people again, you know, seeing the repeat attendees, uh, kind of forming relationships. Uh, Tina and I have you know, we've we've met people, we've gone camping with people, we've uh, had people stay at our house. Uh, we we had a uh, Primocon attendee from Sweden who who came and stayed with us for a few days and hung out and went went hiking and had a great time. So, I, I think it was building that community that was really it, that really became the most important thing. I mean, the 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 education, the workshops were great. And they changed, they varied, but the message was still the same. And after a year or two, you kind of, you got the message, but the people were really what was neat. And to see, to see people succeeding at, uh, you know, things they couldn't have done before, to see people who had, you know, had huge transformations um, was really neat to see. So it, it, it was really cool to be a part of it. Um, and now the, the run is over and you're back in Arizona and you have a very interesting career in the firefighting world. And particularly what I wanted to talk about on this podcast was some of the um, challenges that people 
in similar fields face with whatever you want to call it, shift work, inconsistent schedules, as well as on top of that, the high stress nature of the workday, uh, as opposed to an office worker, a knowledge worker who's sitting in a cube and we're telling him, move around more during your workday. And you're like, oh, dude, you have no idea how much I move around. So let's talk about what um, the, the nature of your career there, and then we'll get into what you're doing with your coworkers. Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, I'm a firefighter. I've been a uh, firefighter paramedic for uh, 13 years now with the over 13 years, I guess, with the uh, Pima Maricopa Indian community, the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian community. So we're a Native American reservation that is uh, just we're actually surrounded on all sides by city. So we're we're in uh, the Phoenix metro area. Uh, I've been there for about 13 years, as I said, um, and we're at a fairly busy station. We run anywhere from six to I think the other day we had uh, 12 calls. So that's, you know, averaging out to one every two hours. And of course, it's it's not uh, on the queue like that. It goes in bursts. But uh, that means, you know, a lot of sleep deprivation or uh, I would say sleep interruption more than deprivation. And, and maybe they're synonymous. But uh, yeah, so it's a challenging job. Um, I really love doing it. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and again, part of it is the connections that I've made with people. Um, that's part of the reason why I go back. I got a great crew that I work with and, um, it's fun to help people, uh, you know, and try and make a difference every once in a while. Uh, so what, what are the nature of the calls typically? Is it a lot of, uh, health, health concerns I, I hear from, you know, it's not always burning buildings like everyone imagines when you say firefighter. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think most firefighters get into the job because of that excitement, because of the fire and, and really, uh, we actually just had our yearly breakdown, and I think that uh, about 86% of what we do is medical calls. Um, Ouch. Yeah, and then I think uh, something around, it was like maybe 10% is, is fire, um, with about 3% of that being a residential fire, and a lot of those call-outs being responding to a car fire, responding to a small brush fire. So, yeah, fires are a small part of it. A lot of it is medical calls. A lot of it, and, and really, honestly, a lot of what we do now is um, we kind of are the front line and the, the primary care for a lot of people. Uh, they'll call us before going to the doctor to, you know, they're not feeling well. Uh, they've been feeling bad for a few days. They have a relative that's feeling bad. They, they have a small injury. Hmm. So you're on this shift and you have the calls coming who knows when. Um, a lot of times during the night hours when I suppose you're attempting to sleep and knowing that you could get could get that buzzer any time. That sounds kind of uh, disturbing. <laughs> yeah, especially for the new guys. <laughs> <laughs> they get a little slow uh, down the sliding pole. Yeah. So, so as you said, we work. Our, our shifts are 24 hours long, and uh, usually that's a pretty standard shift. You'll see a lot of firefighters either it's a, a 24 or a 48. Um, and uh, so we are, we are typically allowed to sleep on shift. Um, usually that's more in the evening. It's not like we're, we're coming in and sleeping all day. We have training and, and other things that are going on. But uh, in the evening, you'll lay down and go to sleep. And, and then you can usually, at my station, you can usually expect to be woken up at least once a night. Uh, and again, that, that call can come anytime between, you know, nine o'clock just before going to bed to three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty disruptive thing. That alarm goes off, uh, you wake up, your heart is pounding, you're trying to rush to get out to the truck as quick as possible, at least I hope you are, and uh, it's, it's disturbing. I mean, you go from dead sleep from, you know, zero miles per hour to 100 miles per hour right away, 
And you may repeat that several times. Okay, so that's a major uh, stressor. Yes. And do you have any uh, coping mechanisms to deal with it? Well, part of what I do uh, personally is uh, the first thing I did was was kind of a mental training or the first thing that started to help me. And I, th- I think one is time on the job, too, because obviously when you're the new guy, you're, you're wanting to do well, you're rushing out, you're not used to the alarm. But uh, it really was um, when I heard that alarm go off, I trained myself to take a big, deep breath and try and relax. And I think that helps a little bit. But I, I really don't think... Um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything you can do to mitigate that stress in the long run. I, I, I think that some of the mental imagery helps. That does help me in the short term. Uh, but but just that repeated stress over time builds up. Um, <laughs> Dude, I love this podcast already because you're giving us the straight scoop. And it's like you hear so many of these health podcasts, health experts, and they're, they're enthusiastic interviewees. And, and they hear like, yeah, I take some deep breaths when I'm awoken in the middle of the night, and the effect is absolutely outstanding. I feel calm, relaxed, chill, tranquil. It's like, you're full of shit, man. Okay, so Chris is telling us a straight scoop. It ain't that easy to get woken up in the middle of the night, no matter if you're taking your deep breaths or whatever, but it sounds like you're trying to get in touch with your autonomic nervous system response and and stay in control and do a little bit of um, mitigation of just that runaway hormonal response when the bell rings. Yeah, I think it makes a big difference. And I think that that's, you know, they say um, it's not what stress you have or it's not the stress you have, it's how you deal with it. And I think that is a part of it. Uh, you know, that it does make a difference when I take a deep breath, when I slow down a little bit, but you can't, you can't outrun that stress long term. And doing it multiple times a night, it just wears on you. So I, I think that what you have to do is kind of change your lifestyle to fit that. And that's, that's one of the things, that's one of my hard lessons that I've really had to learn. And it's taken a long time. Like I said, I've I've been doing this for 13 years and it took 13 years of, you know, that lesson kind of hitting me in the face before I started to realize it. And, and really it it comes down to changing what you're doing outside it. It, uh, well, do you want me to go on and continue with that or do, or. Oh yeah. I love this. And it reminds me of, um, the Ashley Merriman podcast, which is one of the first ones on the primal blueprint channel. And she was talking about her research or others' research that she's written about, um, about testosterone. And, you know, you get that spike of testosterone. Everyone perceives that to be that you're ready for physical aggression and peak performance. But it's also important to realize that it's applicable to the situation. So if you can get into this experience mode where you know, you know, what's required of you when that bell rings and you have to get up, but you don't have to be jittery and rushed and forget one of your pieces of equipment. You know, you can remain calm and focused and have that be your stress response rather than the guy on day one who's running around and um, he he got everything except for his underwear. <laughs> and that's actually happened too. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, it, it reminds me of an experience that I had when uh, I don't know, I was a couple years into the career and um we were heading to a call. I, I might've been, I might've, I think we were heading to a fire. And, and of course, because fires are, are the more rare of the call. And those are the, the, the really exciting times, you know, those are the, the kind of the experiences now, you know, I, I, I don't wish that anybody has a fire. I don't wish that anybody has a, you know, their house burning, but, but those are the things as a young firefighter, those are the things you want to see, you know, those are the things you want to be there to help somebody with. And uh, I realized at some point, I, I kind of looked around and going back to kind of that mental aspect and, and that mental imagery that 
I, w- I think I was heading to this fire and I, I was realizing that I had a, a choice, an option, um, that, that I could get caught up in that excitement. I could get caught up in that, that energy. And, it, and it's really exciting. It's, it's kind of like, a, you know, it may be, maybe somebody who's an adrenaline junkie. It's kind of like getting that, that rush. Mm. Or I had a choice to, to kind of relax a little bit, to start to breathe, to think about what I'm doing. And, and the funny thing is focusing on that takes away the, uh, it takes away that excitement. It takes away that rush. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a choice between, do I want that rush? And do I want to be kind of manic or, or frantic? Or do I want to slow down? Do I want to focus on the job and uh, do what I'm doing? And so, so I kind of had to, it's kind of sad to let that go. You know, and it's fun to be caught up in things, but there really is some mental, um, there is a, some mental direction to it. Uh, and, and I think that probably, that goes across like any, yeah. any exciting thing, yeah. can, any high stimulation thing. No, that, that's heavy stuff to reflect upon, man, because a lot of people, you know, you get that burst of uh, dopamine and all the other feel-good hormones when you, you click into that excitable response. However, um, I mean, at least a lot of experts think that that's not necessarily aligned with peak performance. It's just manic, like you said. And, you know, you, I, I imagine that you're plenty excited when you're into a, you know, high-stress trauma situation that you don't need to get amped in the traditional sense. But what you do need to do is, you know, just manage that stress response effectively so that you're, um, you know, performing at your peak physically as well as cognitively. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to be amped up. You don't have to be excited because that's going to be there naturally. Right. But you do have to slow down. You do have to think. Um, and you know, it, it, that, that whole time dilation, you totally experience that where it feels like you're moving a lot slower than you actually are. You know, um, a medical call is a good example, uh, you know, working on somebody who has a cardiac arrest that, uh, there's moments where, where it feels like you're not doing enough because the processes that we have in place that actually uh, have, you know, scientific backing to uh, that they have a better survival outcome when we use those practices, they really kind of render us um, waiting to do them. Um, and it, I, without getting into too much detail on it, it's uh, a certain method of, of uh, CPR, basically. And as we do this, we're, we're not treating, we're doing the CPR, we're, we're treating them with that modality but we're not doing anything else. And so it's hard to, um, it's hard to not have something to do, especially when there's people watching, you know, when there's, there's such a high stress situation is going on. So it's, you experience that time dilation, that, that speed up, um, you want to do something, you're motivated to do something and you, you don't have to make that happen. You just have to, you have to go the other way. And it, it's a challenge. It's not easy. It takes, I, I think experience has a lot to do with it. Wow, I wonder if these are topics of conversation around the firehouse or in your formal trainings. I mean, do they ever address these kind of uh, insights to help, uh, especially a young person in this career? And I'm wondering too, like in the, you know, in, in the hospital scene, the ER. You know, you got people that maybe their um, their response to the stimulus is not ideal for uh, doing their job the best. I don't think so. At least uh, in my experience, I mean, they, they, I, I can't speak for everybody. I can't speak for every agency, obviously. But but you know, they really didn't have a lot of that. I think it's something that you learn on the job. Uh, there's definitely if you talk to, I think people call it different things. I'm just kind of using my filter to explain it. But um, 
I don't think there's a lot of that. And, and that's something I'm starting to try and explore. I was a little bit inspired by another firefighter who was uh, giving me some ideas. He was he was talking about something called compassion fatigue, which is is uh, basically it's the, the fancy word for burnout. And uh, it's something that we really don't tell um, firefighters that we're, we're starting to try and hit as we train them. And we're starting to try and to teach them to mitigate that stress uh, because that's a huge component and it's insidious. You don't you don't see it on a day-to-day basis. You might see the ups and downs. You might go home feeling stressed and tired and you get some sleep and feel better, but you don't see what it does to you over the long term. And uh, so, so what, what we're trying to do is to make, make the new recruits aware of that. And, and, and part of that stress is, you know, obviously there's um, fitness, you know, and, and, and part fitness is part of our job, but we're trying to teach firefighters a better way to work out. At least I am. That's one of the things, that's one of my messages. I'm trying to teach people how to incorporate that stress into, you know, to, to look at the, the whole picture instead of little pieces. Uh, I love that message. It's, um, it actually reminds me that it's time for a public service announcement on the podcast. Hi, listeners. This is Brad Kearns to talk to you about compassion fatigue. And if Mark Sisson is listening... Brad has compassion fatigue after that arduous journey to complete our new book, Primal Endurance. And I'm going to be taking (laughs) off for, oh, the next three or four weeks to enjoy the holidays. Have a great day. And remember, listeners, watch out for compassion fatigue. And back to the show. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) That's cool. I love that term. I love that term. And, you know, burnout is uh, a sensitive topic to me because I came from the athletic world where it was a constant battle. And it was your biggest enemy is that burnout because... Um, people in high-stress situations, high-stress careers, you know, they're in there for a reason. They're, they didn't just drag their feet into the, into the service. It was a huge commitment and a lifestyle. Um, so they're ready for that action and that intensity and that adventure. However, just like you described, um, you got to watch yourself because you can, you can go overboard into the, uh, the, the adrenaline mode and, you know, end up with compassion fatigue. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, I, I really see some similarities that are uh, parallels with uh, endurance athletes with, you know, it's that type A personality that driven it's that it's that person who kind of doesn't listen to their body or maybe is able to ignore listening to their body and uh, just pushes and pushes and pushes until something breaks. Um, and, and you see a lot of that type A personality that you see in the fire service, too. Um, I don't know if I'm that type A personality. I I think I'm a high stress person though. I'm a, <laughs> I'm high strung. So maybe I am, maybe every type A person says, Oh, I'm not type A, but, but they are. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the quiz. Uh, do you think you're type A? Yes or no? If you answer no, the answer is you are. <laughs> and if you answer yes, that means you're like super reflective and have that self-awareness that a lot of type A goal driven people don't. So, Oh, uh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful uh, challenge there to answer that question. Honestly, <laughs> Oh, mercy. We're getting into it here. Uh, So you mentioned briefly some of the workout stuff you're doing with your guys. And you're, for the listeners that don't know, we'll put up, um, if our audio engineer, Tina, can find a a shirtless photo of Chris, maybe upside down doing the handstand push-ups, whatever. (laughs) Um, But you're a big-time athlete. Give us a little of your athletic background, too, when you answer this question. But, um, you know, you're trying to keep fit and have some ambitious performance goals while you're dealing with this high-stress career. So let's talk about how you do it personally and then what you've done with your team, too. Sure. Um, well, just a little bit of background. You know, it's funny. I was never really 
I was actually bad at, at athletics. I played uh, basketball in, in junior high and, and I did okay. I was, I was very excited about it. I wasn't good at it. I, I don't think I ever made a basket, but I was always a really active kid. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was attracted to the fire service. One of the main reasons is because it's an active job, because you get to use your body. That's something I wanted to do. So, you know, I got into the fire service and, uh, I was driven to work out. Um, I tried a lot of different stuff. Uh, I had a bodybuilding phase. I had a, uh, not really endurance, but more of like a maybe endurance hiking phase where I was, I was climbing a mountain regularly. And I'm actually, I've been back to doing that again, but at a much lower rate. And I'll, I can get into that later. But um, about, I guess it probably about over eight years ago now, uh, I found CrossFit. And, and that was, that was kind of like, uh, putting a match to gasoline. Um, I, it was that intensity and, and I'll, I'll really tell you, I, I got into it. Um, I, I loved, I did my first workout and, and I think it was, it was a workout. It took me like 18 minutes to do it. And you know, that's, that's, it usually takes people maybe seven and, uh, it smashed me. And I loved that feeling. I loved that, you know, that bringing myself to the brink of, of throwing up. I was addicted to that intensity. Uh, so I did that for uh, four or five years, probably. And um, the problem was that that over time, I, I, things started to not go so well. Um, I, I moved to a busy station. And um, so I started to have sleep deprivation more often. I started to notice that my sleep got bad at home. And, and it was a very distinct pattern, too. I'd often uh, fall asleep for about three or four hours and wake up at, at probably like two or three in the morning and then just be wide awake and couldn't go to sleep. Whoa. And, and, you know, I started to get injured. I started to have nagging knee injuries, uh, my elbows, my joints. Uh, so you're still, you're still doing CrossFit hardcore. Yeah. And now you have a new job where you're not sleeping much. Well, that's funny. Just an aside, like you'd imagine not knowing anything about this, that on those off days, you'd come home and crash out like a teenager for 14 straight hours. But that's not the case when your hormones get all whack, huh? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, you know, I would come home and maybe take a nap uh, in the afternoon for about half an hour or so. But no, no, I, I would come home. And here's part of the, one of the problems, too. And I don't know if this is a it, it's hard to say if this is a symptom or a cause. But uh, my caffeine consumption started to go way up. <laughs> uh, I started using energy drinks. I started I, I started uh well, the, I think part of it was uh, I started using like pre-workout energy drinks and and that 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 pre-workout energy drink combined with the high intensity exercise i think is a bad idea um but it was just like it, it was piling sympathetic on top of sympathetic on top of sympathetic stimulation um it was never giving myself a chance to to go into that parasympathetic uh realm to to rest and recover and i really wasn't listening to my body so quick primer listeners if we haven't heard the other shows um especially with rhonda collier talking about HRV, and we got into the details of sympathetic and parasympathetic, but sympathetic is fight or flight. So you're doing all these things that'll jack you up, like a hard workout, the substances, the substance abuse, we'll call it in Chris's case. And um, <laughs> parasympathetic is known as the calming, relaxing element of the autonomic nervous system. So those are things like deep breathing and sleep and watching birds in nature and doing things that are uh, a, a yoga class and all those things on that list. So you were like loading up with, um, you know, 100% adrenaline, like you're auditioning for the next Point Break movie or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's funny because it's like the more I did it, uh, the more I needed it, the more the more I needed that lift to keep going. I was 
living for that workout the next day. And I kind of dropped, you know, I, I'd been a dancer. I, I was uh, into to swing dancing and 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 social dancing, and and I kind of dropped that. That kind of went away. Um, it was all it was living for that workout, and a part of that is just maybe it's that type A that I don't want to admit that I was so hyper focused on doing it. Um, but things kind of, you know, the, the wheels started to fall off the bus. Um, and, uh, one of the things that started to help turn that around was I started to look at HRV. It's funny that you mentioned Rhonda Collier in that because HRV was something that had started to give me feedback in, in looking at, at my sleep and looking at how everything was affecting me. I think what it comes down to is that I was compartmentalizing my stress. Um, Hmm. I I was, I wasn't, I, I would work out regardless of what kind of stress I had had. Ah, right. So you didn't, um, you didn't put, you didn't make the connection between your fitful night of sleep and the next morning's workout. You were just in the gym, ready to go. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's a good term. I like that. Compartmentalizing my stress. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I, because I was living for that workout, I was living for that. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I was getting better at it, but I yeah, was, uh, oh, go ahead. Let me pause for a sec because, um, that's an important point. And, um, we're not talking about a, a soft, flabby, broken down old 28 year old here. We're talking about you were, you were reaching an extremely high fitness level, even though you had these imbalances going on. So I think the takeaway there is that, um, when you stimulate sympathetic and you get into that fight or flight mode, you can excel in your career. You can put in those 75 hour weeks and make partner, or you can be on the professional triathlon circuit training 20 to 30 hours a week and just turning that gas pedal, you know, squeezing the throttle taped open all day. Um, but absolutely positively, the wheels will fall off at some point where we pick up your story now. <laughs> oh, they totally did. And, and it, it even ranged into blood work. Um, my, uh, my hormones were all out of whack. And, and that was another thing that I, like you said, I was killing it in the gym. I was making steady progress, but I was, I was tanking myself in, in the, the process. Um, so I had to make a change. Uh, and it, as I said, like the HRV was a great tool to help me start to, to get feedback. Hey, it's Brad Kearns here to talk some tuna with you. The episode is brought to you by Safe Catch Elite, a new paleo certified tuna that has four times less mercury than even wild planet tuna. That's why Safe Catch Elite is the official tuna of the American Pregnancy Association. It's all possible because Safe Catch Elite tests every tuna to strict mercury limits and no other brand does this. Safe Catch Elite tastes amazing and retains all of the vital nutrients because they hand cut and hand pack each tuna raw and then slow cook it in the can. Safe Catch is about more than better tuna. They're proud partners of the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Program and work to protect purity in the oceans. Go to safecatch.com primal and receive 20% off your first order. That's safecatch.com primal. Try out some tuna and make it in a salad with the primal kitchen mayo. Delicious. Sleep was another thing that, that really was, was, okay, I can modulate, look at my sleep, see how I'm doing. Um, and uh, start to, I knew that if my sleep got better, that I was, I was doing better. But it, the funny thing, Brad, is it was really hard to put away that, that high intensity stuff. Um, and, and, and let me be straight when I say that, you know, I'm not against high intensity exercise. I think the right dose and the right person, the right time is certainly, it, it, it can be very powerful. But uh, for me, it, it was, you know, I, I had such a hard time putting away the high intensity and just going slower that 
I, I would I would think I was doing better, and I really wasn't until I can look back now and at years, maybe one or two years later, and see that I wasn't doing as well as I thought. I was still keeping that high intensity as soon as I, I as soon as I could put it in, I would, and it would just kind of spin me back. It would take my HRV back down. It would, um, you know, put me into an overtraining state right away, almost like I was more sensitive to it. What do you think's the what was the um, the payoff? when you were craving those high-intensity workouts so much? Why was it such an important thing that you were just so uh, compelled to basically overdo it on those lines? Uh, I think one was, it was chasing those numbers for mm, one. Yeah. Ch- uh-huh. <laughs> Ch- you know, getting faster, getting stronger, more work capacity. Um, and really, it's funny, you, you were saying that I was a good athlete, and I really appreciate you saying that. And, and I was okay. Um, but really in comparison, I was good enough to do my job. I, I, and, and striving further than that for, I, I wasn't competing. I wasn't, um, I, I wasn't making money off it, but I was uh, running myself into the ground <laughs> just, just for better numbers. And you weren't even getting paid. Shame, <laughs> no. shame. No, you didn't have your Reebok deal yet. Well, it's really funny. I was actually just looking at a study a little while ago, talking about, uh, injuries that they looked at, uh, uh, both police and firefighters. And it was, I can't remember the number now, but it was in the hundreds of uh, first responders that they followed. And they found that uh, the first responders who were more likely to get injured were actually the ones who were more fit. And most of the time they ended up getting injured because they were working out or they were doing something. And so those those firefighters that had the moderate level of fitness or the firefighters and police were actually better off long-term. Huh. I guess they uh, were more respectful of their limitations or something. I think so. Yeah. I think, they, yeah. Okay, so you had this sensation that um, things were out of balance. Um, your sleep was your, your big uh, barometer there. And what did you do to write the course? Uh, well, <laughs> nothing for a while. I thought that just doing the same thing would help. But um, So the first thing I had to do, and, and uh, I credit, I really want to credit the uh, it was OPT at the time, but now it's OPEX, James Fitzgerald. I, I went to their, their uh, coaching training, and, and uh, I realized that one of the, the pieces that was missing out of my puzzle was an aerobic base. Um, I had really run myself into the ground, and I was good at that high-intensity stuff, but it was uh, the long, slow aerobic base that I was missing. Um, and it also, you know, convert, that's, that's the same kind of stuff that... Uh, stimulates the parasympathetic as opposed to the sympathetic. Um, so why would that be important for a CrossFit athlete who's going for max effort, 10-minute all-out session or whatnot? I think that if you, if you look at a, an athlete who's trying to, to develop a whole picture, um, that, that aerobic base is essential. Uh, it's where you recover that high intensity. It's where you recover the glycolytic and the, the, the anaerobic system, basically. Um, it's the more work you can do aerobically, the more work, the, the higher your threshold is before you start reaching that, that zone where you just burn yourself out. Um, for me, it, and, and for firefighting, I think that that's one of the money spots to be. And that without that, that base, without that, you, you can burn hard, but you're going to crash quickly. Um, and you're not going to be able to recover as well. Interesting. So if you start putting in some aerobic work and I'm, obviously have a strong opinion on the subject and can uh, speculate why it's so effective. So I'll ask the question, but I'll also 
kind of interject that you're you're building the the foundation with the circulatory system, muscles, joints, connective tissue, and this is what's enabling you to reach those peaks when you do go for the maximum effort uh, CrossFit session or whatever performance you're doing. So, right. I mean, this is going back for 50 years. The world's leading middle distance runners in track and field um, started running miles and miles and miles. Uh, Peter Snell from New Zealand, 1960 Olympic champion, uh, eight, world record holder, 800 meters in one minute, 44 seconds. And he was trained with extreme ultra distance training at low intensity, running in the sand dunes in New Zealand and getting strong and strong and strong so that he could hold an amazing pace for two laps. And I think a lot of the casual listeners, especially in the CrossFit game, which um, they're calling it, you know, a balanced or a well-balanced fitness program, but it seems to me that they're mostly focused on high-intensity stuff. I think you're right. I think when you're talking about focusing on work capacity, which is, you know, you can look at different definitions of it, but it's kind of basically doing more work in less time. Um, you're, you're missing out on a whole base and I, I, you're, you're missing out on that aerobic base. And like you're saying, you're missing out on those physiological changes uh, that you're trying to create that support better performance. Uh, and they also support better health and recovery, in my opinion. Um, it, and, and here's the thing for somebody who's, who's that high intensity athlete, somebody who, who like me might be addicted to intensity or, or was, or is, I don't know if I still am, but uh, it's hard to slow down. And I I think that when you slow down to the point that you're building that aerobic base, you're not going to feel it like you would, you know, you're not going to feel the burn. You're not going to feel the, you're not going to get that immediate feedback that you get from that high intensity session. Right, right. Yeah. Um, And it seems to me that there's a a lot of the drive to do high fitness performance is to balance the comfortable sedentary elements of daily life. And uh, secondly, to have a sense of accomplishment and achievement that you did something so you can go write your name on the board or just, you know, beat your time uh, running around the loop in your neighborhood. Um, but this transition over to an aerobic emphasis, um, as you know, it's, it's, it's all about just, you know, tapping those brakes all the time and it can get a little bit frustrating, huh? Totally. Um, <laughs> so when I started, I, I, um, First thing was, you know, for those people who are high intensity, a heart rate monitor is key. And, and really what the heart rate monitor is going to do is going to give you feedback and allow you to slow down. Um, and so I use it now. I advocate that people use it. We've been using it in the fire academy. Um, for that, that high intensity person, it's really hard to slow down. You need that feedback. You need that watch, that readout that's going to tell you that you're going too fast. And, and for me, you know, it, it was funny. I, I was in good shape. I could, I could do a lot of the CrossFit benchmark workouts in a, in a pretty fast time. Uh, I was pretty strong, but I couldn't run. The first thing I discovered was I couldn't run 400 meters or maybe four, about four to 800 meters without my heart rate going up to above that aerobic zone. I, had, I literally had to stop and walk running 800 meters. Um, yeah, life's a bitch, man. It's tough. And uh <laughs> You were highly anaerobically developed, but aerobically deficient. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, go ahead. So then, there's the stuff that we've been talking about for months offline, and the question of just how how slow do I have to go to make sure it's aerobic? And you had some um, awakenings along those lines, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've used different methods for something. I use something for myself 
personally a little bit different than uh, what we use, say, for our, our recruits. And I can get into why we do that. And, and I'm open to, there was a criticism on that from somebody, and I'm open to changing. But um, first of all, I, I don't use the the uh, max heart rate method. I, I don't think the max heart rate is really accurate. But so I use a test um, to kind of determine the lactic threshold and then base it off a percentage of that. And I think it was something that I found in, uh, might have been one of Arthur Lydiard's books, I'm not sure. But uh, what that puts it at is, is uh, I, I don't know percentages, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but, but I'm usually around about 140 beats per minute. And uh, that also seems to jive pretty well with, uh, well, what's his name, uh, Phil Maffetone. Right. So it, it's pretty close. Is that what you mean? Is that what you were referring to as far as... Yeah. How, uh, how old are you? Um, 38. Yeah. So, you know, we've done a ton of research on this for the Primal Endurance book and obviously been dealing with this subject for, um, you know, uh, almost 30 years now, going back to my very beginning as a triathlete and distance runner. And there's a lot of different opinions on it. There's a new... Uh, scientific term called the ventilatory threshold that some people identify as the aerobic maximum, and you can identify some metabolic changes that take place at the VT. Um, however, I, I want to put a plug in for Phil. He's been on the show a couple times. He's been on the Endurance Show and the main channel. Um, but his very, very simple formula, memorable, is 180 minus your age equals your aerobic maximum heart rate. Not your maximum or your absolute maximum heart rate, which was what you were saying, and you have to go figure out what that is. The testing protocol is a little tricky because we're talking about blasting you until you collapse and then taking some calculation off that. And there's a lot of margin for error where, you know, Phil's time-tested formula that's uh, part intuitive and part road-tested by many clients, but very sensible, is to just get that heart rate down. It's, it's going to seem ridiculously low, no matter how old you are, to train at that kind of heart rate. But that is where you get good aerobic development with a minimal amount of anaerobic stimulation. So it changes the metabolic effect of the workout to focus on fat burning and uh, low stress hormone stimulation rather than when you get above that heart rate for a short intense duration workout or a lengthy jog or bike ride that's a little bit too strenuous, you're going into sympathetic and uh, burnout potential. Right. Right. And, and it's something I, I think another important aspect of it is at that intensity, um, there's also the element of skill practice, too. Oh, so what do you mean by that? OK, so we've been uh, I, I, I've had the fortune that I think I've uh, programmed for seven fire academies now. And I, I had the uh, honor and fortune to uh, to help out with a uh, neighboring fire department and program for their fire academy for their uh, 16 week I think it's 16, uh, fitness program. Oh, right. So these are for the, the trainees, the cadets? Right, right. Oh, nice. All right. And uh, so when you're talking about firefighters, um, I think the, the aerobic base building thing isn't completely unheard of. And, and, and the fire service kind of goes through trends like anything else, where years ago when I started, it, there was some aerobic base building, but it was very, um, uh, it was a lot of running. And there was some basic strength training, um, some stability stuff. We, we were using stability balls a lot because I think that was popular. Uh, years later, the, the academies have gone through high intensity and CrossFit. Now we're kind of coming back to that aerobic base again. Um, in terms of skill practice, 
fire recruits don't need to run for miles on end. They don't need to run for 45 minutes every day. It, it just... <laughs> hey, there's a, there's a building burning down the street and eight blocks down and then four blocks up. Okay, I'll, I'll run there. I've, never, I've yeah. probably never had to run more than, I would guess, maybe 400 feet or so <laughs> on a fire. So, um, yeah. so running, running for recruits doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it, the second reason is because a lot of them develop injuries. That was one of our big injury-causing things was just running. Uh, a lot of times it was the common injuries, things like shin splints, plantar fasciitis, uh, knee pain, that kind of thing. Um, but we wanted to build an aerobic base. Uh, so what we started to do was use, incorporate firefighter skills with, um, with running, with, with calisthenics, with uh, stair climbing. We have a tower at the, the training facility. And, and then with the basic, basic like lift, pull, push that you're probably more likely to encounter in firefighting, you know, things like drags, carries, um, using a hammer. And, and so basically what we, we did was we, we took like uh, kind of your basic CrossFit workout, which say you're doing, I'm just going to throw stuff out here, say a 25 meter dummy drag, which is dragging a heavy weight backwards. Um, 20 sledgehammer strikes and uh, one time up the five stories up the, the tower and back down again. Hmm. Um, and so we took that, that, that format of the mixed, mixed modal stuff and we extended it to about 45 minutes. Um, so you're moving at a constant pace, watching your heart rate and practicing those skills that we're actually going to use, kind of building those motor patterns. So we look at it as practice. Um, so we took it away from the, you know, just doing one thing over and over again to doing multiple stuff. And, and it, it makes it a lot more interesting for them. And it, it's applicable to what we do. One of the, the really exciting things so far is that um, we've had a reduction in injuries from previous academies. Um, and that's, that's huge because, you know, here we are training these people to do a job. We, we want to train them right. We want to train them to, to have it now a 25-year career or longer. And so breaking them in the beginning is really counterproductive to, to what we're doing. It's counterproductive to them. You know, it's counterproductive to the time we invest in them. So, wow, that's a, a pretty novel. Uh, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. So we've been using these circuits and it, it's, uh, it seems to be very effective. And again, you know, the funny thing is we're using them with the, the heart rate monitors and, and still, the hardest thing to do is to get those guys to slow down and we have to watch them. We, and unfortunately <laughs> the, uh, some of the team, the hardest thing is for the, the team, the uh, fitness team, the guys training the, the recruits to get them to advocate for slowing down. Not everybody on the team has bought into the uh, low intensity mm, stuff. Mm. And, and as I said, we're using high intensity. We're not just, we're not just going this low intensity. The first phase was low but now we're, we're turning that into work capacity. So the second phase they're going through now, they actually are doing high intensity stuff. They're doing shorter intervals and, and that kind of thing. Right. But only when they, only when they first, uh, developed a, a, a nice baseline of fitness so that they don't fall apart from doing that heavy stuff. Exactly. Yeah. They've, they've, they've prepared their joints because they're moving at a low intensity. They have the time to, because they're not trying to rush, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, at, at such a high heart rate that they can't think straight, we can instruct them on how they're moving, you know, whether their back is straight, whether their, their toes are facing forward, you know, how they're, how they're moving. And, and hopefully we're, you know, building those habits 
to that they can ca- then carry into that high intensity work. Um, so you've received some uh, support and buy-in here because of some incredible results, right? Well, we've what we've seen so far. Now it's 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 anecdotal in that. Uh, just, or I guess it's observational, and there, there's a lot of things you can't control for. So I can't say that it's a you know tight scientific experiment. But so we we finished with our first seven week phase, which was the low intensity and muscular endurance. Um, basically, we're limited on on weights uh, just in terms of equipment, and and uh, so we've been using a lot of like push ups, pull ups, that kind of thing, uh, coupled with this this low intensity, move slow, um, you know, continuously. Uh, last week, they were able to take the brakes off for the first time. And uh, actually, believe it, believe it or not, for me, it was really fun to be able to say that to them. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to that. Well, you wrote, me, uh, you wrote me about this, and you said there was so much frustration, people going, how could we be getting in shape, Chris? We're going too slow. That was the common thing. That One of the, uh, one of the complaints I heard, not so much from the recruits, but one of the, the uh, team members was, I don't understand how they could do this. They're not... Um, you know, they're not working at a high intensity. When the high intensity comes, they're not going to be able to do it. Uh, so we, we, we took them. I was there for the first workout, the first high intensity workout. And it's one that I've put probably, I've seen over a hundred people at least go through it. Um, cause I've used it for a lot of the, the, uh, previous fire academies that I've taught. And, uh, I also use it myself. I think it's a good benchmark workout. So it's high intensity. It's very short. And uh, it's uh, an interval. And it's basically, uh, without getting into too much detail, it's just dragging hose back and forth um, as fast as you can. Um, so the recruits, we went out there and uh, we, they had them warm up and we got them going. And uh, so, so the first thing I'll say is a lot of people I see when they do this for the first time, um, we usually in a group of, of, of people, we usually have somebody that throws up. We usually have people that are slowing down significantly while dragging the hose from the first interval to the last. Um, and th- I was blown away. Uh, these guys, there are 30, over 30 recruits. Um, the slowest team, they, they operate in teams of four for this workout. The slowest team completed the workout in under nine minutes. Um, I've seen teams do it faster. I've seen teams that's not like the fastest time, but that's the first time I've seen an entire group in the middle range as opposed to, you know, I've seen people take as long as 14 or 15 minutes to do this. Um, most of the recruits, uh, were not slowing down very significantly at all. Um, usually they start out going really fast and by the end, they're just grinding through that drag, but this time they were moving at a good pace. Uh, we had one one recruit who um, I think uh, she had a hard time dragging one time at the beginning of the academy. She dragged it four times, no problem, which was amazing to see. When I saw this, I was blown away. It was uh, I was not expecting that at all. Uh, and and so since then, they've continued to to take the workouts that we've seen, and I've seen people do several times, and they've um, they've performed outperformed anything I've seen so far. And it's really cool to see. Hey, if you're firefighters, police academy, whoever listening to Chris Adams, get in touch with this guy because this sounds like a real, um, a really valuable thing that could catch on when um, people start to embrace the, uh, you know, this is, this is the cutting edge of um, athletic training. 
And it, unfortunately, it seems like if you go look at a high school football program or even a high school cross-country program where they're training distance runners, but they're just sending the kids down the street and the first four in the pack are benefiting from the workout because they're aerobic and the rest of them are just trying to keep up and their tongue's hanging out and they might not even be back on the team next year because they're burning them to a crisp. So it's time for, I think, all the people, all the groups interested in peak performance to you know, embrace this philosophy that you've, you've put out there with your enthusiasm and, and see these incredible results happen in a short time, really. I think it's, it's, it's a missing piece. I know it's a missing piece for me. And uh, I think it's a missing piece for a lot of people. And I, I think it's something that can make a big difference. And again, I'm not against high intensity. I do think there's a place for it. And, you know, training firefighters, we do need to to operate at stressful levels. But um, that aerobic base is, is key. I think that that's just about at the bottom. I, I, the only thing I think that is more important than that in terms of, of firefighter health and safety is really... Um, stress mitigation and, mm. and taking, you know, sleep and, and trying to, to reduce the effects of, of sleep deprivation. Yeah. One thing Dr. Maffetone said on the show, which was memorable, um, and I think anyone can relate to this. Uh, he said, look, if you're healthy and you're living a healthy, balanced lifestyle and you're building that aerobic system under minimal stress hormone production and just building, building, and feeling healthy and energetic, when the time comes, when that, when that buzzer rings or when someone puts a gun to your head and it's time to go 100% intensity, it'll be there. It'll be in your body. And I think everyone can reference that where you've been asked to, to deliver a peak performance effort. Maybe you haven't trained a ton at super high intensity, but you put up a pretty good, uh, a pretty good number because of all the complementary uh, healthy fitness activities that you've been doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I think this has been a great uh, encounter with what it's like to be in this uh, interesting career of yours. That's probably a fair portion of listeners that can relate in one way or another. They're working in the health professions or public service, and hopefully they can pick up some insights, spread the word, and we'll get you back on with uh, an update in the future about what's going on at the Academy and all the other doings down there in Arizona. So, Chris Adams, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Excellent, Brad. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. I really appreciate it. Until next time, this is your host, Brad Kearns. Have a great day. Got a passion for Primal? Join Mark Sisson on a mission to save the world. Become a Primal Blueprint certified expert today. With our dollar down payment program, it's easier than ever. Just pay $1 to start and $89 a month for the next 12 months. The Primal Blueprint Expert Certification is the most comprehensive online Primal Paleo certification program of its kind. Explore the fascinating world of ancestral health from the comfort of your own home with this premier multimedia experience. Perfect for health and fitness professionals, as well as individuals looking to uplevel their primal practice. Visit primalblueprint.com slash get hyphen certified to put a dollar down today.